Episode 206, Ivan Funkboy Bodley, working class rock star and inductee in the New York Blues Hall of Fame. There's been a, a number of sort of like epic firings. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Funk Boy, his music, his book, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraben.com slash mistake206. But hey, enough of my yakking. What do you say? Let's boogie. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome back to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Ivan Bodley, a.k.a. Funk Boy. He is a bass player. He describes himself as music director for the stars because he has performed with in this point, the number might be higher, but at least 52 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductees and counting. This is ranged from performers like Elvis Costello, The Temptations, Bo Diddley, and Winona Judd. So there's quite a range there. Uh, he's played in 13 Broadway shows. He played a President Obama inaugural ball. He's been on many late shows, including Late Night with Conan O'Brien and morning shows, including Today and Live with Regis and Kelly. So before I tell you more, Ivan... Welcome to the podcast. How are you? All right, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's great to be here. Great to talk to you. Yeah, well, I'm excited to hear your story, and there's a, a lot of fun things uh, to talk about. Um, you know, people might look at you and say, "Hey, rock and roll," but you've you've got range. You play jazz. You play. You do it all, right? Yeah, I, uh, my sort of standard uh, joke is I, I'll work for whoever will hire me. I'm a musical prostitute. I'll do anything for money. Um, that said, I do have a very large range of stuff that I like genre wise, you know, that I actually actively engage with. So, um, and also in keeping a diverse portfolio as a professional freelancer, yeah, you got to be able to jump any direction at any time. So yeah, it's range from country to rock to, uh, R and B to soul to bluegrass, whatever, classical, whatever they'll pay me for, I'll do it. <laughs> it sounds like you can and that you do it well. So Ivan is a, a magna cum laude graduate of the acclaimed Berkeley College of Music in Boston. He's an inductee into the New York Blues Hall of Fame, another genre, if you hadn't mentioned that one. And he's author of the book, Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. He also has a podcast. Ivan has traveled to 31 countries, and he's played the audiences as large as 82,000 people. What, what was that audience? That sounds like a Super Bowl halftime or something. It, 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 it was a football game halftime. It was the Jets-Bengals uh, game uh, Thanksgiving Day and sold out Jets Stadium when I looked up the capacity online. It's like 82,566. I'm like, yep, we were there. And it was, the place was full of people. Uh, I was playing, I was performing with the cast of the Broadway show Rock of Ages. So we did the halftime show. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was seen by everybody who was in the room and nobody on television. And it was great fun. I bet that was a large um, television audience there. And, you know, this, this is maybe putting it on the spot before we get to the favorite mistake question. Do you have a favorite Broadway show of the ones that you've played in? Uh, it Probably Rock of Ages, not only because of what the nature of the show was, but because I did it so long. I subbed on that show. Uh, I was never never the principal basis on it, but I was I subbed on it for probably 300 
performances over the course of five and a half years. So it got to be, you know, a, a group of old friends. It became a really familiar sort of thing. And it was like giving a rock concert for a thousand people every night. You went on stage. It was a lot of fun. It was a, a yeah. blast to play. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, uh, gosh, I, I, I'm sure there's going to be a good story here. or there's There are stories of all the different things that you've done musically yeah. and, and, and professionally. Might not be easy. To, it's not, guests always say it's not easy to decide, but I'm going to ask you what 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 is a favorite mistake, or what 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 is your favorite mistake? Well, there's so many. I've made so many mistakes. You know, um, for me, it's it's it kind of comes down to, and I talk about this in the book a little bit. Like, there's been a, a number of sort of like epic firings. You know, it's like gigs that I was or really big gigs, gigs that I was really into, really wanted to keep, and then you are relieved of your employment for reasons that may or may not be apparent reasons that may or may not have anything to do with you and then you go up back and you try to second guess well if i'd done this x y or z would it have avoided this you know career altering firing and it, it it's impossible to really say sometimes you know like uh there's only one of them i can kind of say for sure that i probably should have done something a little different but it, it it's Again, it's it's really hard to second guess because very often you don't have all of the information, you know, and the decisions kind of get made arbitrarily because the budget changed or the style of music changed. Or in, in this one case that I'm thinking about that I'll, I'll tell you about more, you know, it could be the, the singer's shoes didn't fit right. You know, so <clears throat> the one I'm sort of thinking of, uh, I, I, I was a... Um, I was touring with a a, a certain uh, um, disco diva who, who shall remain nameless just because I do love her as a human being and as an artist. But, the, you know, the incident was um, I was her music director, conductor, bassist, put, put together a young new band for her. And this is this is back in the 90s. And they were getting, you know, because because we were young and hungry, you know, they were getting us pretty cheap. And we were flying literally halfway around the world. Like we went to Singapore and that kind of stuff um, for way, nowhere near enough money for what it took, you know, because you go to Singapore, even if you're there for 24 hours, you know, it's four days of your life traveling, you know. Um, and so they were getting us for cheap. They were getting us for cheap. Uh, but we were enjoying the experience. We were enjoying the, you know the adventure, the whole thing. It got to a point, however, we were uh, set to, to travel to Europe for, again, way too low money. And the band was starting to grumble. All the people that I had hired were saying, listen, this is not enough money. It really, it's, it's too late. Like we need more money. We need more money. And I could sense like this, this mutiny sort of growing underneath me. So I went to the manager uh, who at the time was also the the spouse, uh, which is a difficult sort of relationship that I've experienced in other situations, and it's something that can be you know um, delicate to 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 uh, negotiate at best, you know. So I just told the the spouse manager, I said, "Listen, we really need like a a fifty dollar person, sort of a very modest kind of increase to to go to Europe for a weekend, kind of thing," um, and. Um, it, it was just such a, it's just such a weird situation. Like, cause I was never in touch with the manager directly. I was in touch with the manager's nephew who was the one answering the phone. So we never had a direct conversation. 
And there was also like a, um, I was going to have like a face-to-face meeting with him when we were uh, literally in Singapore and he had gotten intoxicated and fallen off the stage and broken his foot. (laughs) So he was like in the hospital when I was going to have this big, you know, face-to-face, heart-to-heart about the the money and thing. I was like, you got to be kidding me. It was going, it was going badly. So I kind of said, listen, we just need, we need like a modest increase because the band's getting antsy. <clears throat> it's not too much to ask. It's a fair price. And, and he said, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, we were to leave on a Friday, you know, and this plane tickets are involved. Like we're traveling internationally. We're going like, I think to Germany on a Friday. I got a call on a Wednesday that said, okay, you're all fired. And we're, you know, we have a band in Europe that we're going to use. And uh, thank you very much. You know, sort of unceremoniously fired. Um, I got a call from one of the horn players. I said, listen, the weekend's ruined. We're all fired. They called the horn players independently. and said, would you guys mind going and fill in? Because they had like a rhythm section in Europe, but they wanted to take the American horns. And I said, you have my blessing. Go do it. You know, thank you for the call. I understand, you know, go make the money. I don't begrudge anyone. What happened the next gig after that was the entire band got hired out from under me at the same old money and they all went and I was like okay wait a minute so that my mistake there was sort of not gauging the situation both in terms of you know how severe the mutiny was you know because they all took the same job for the same money you know without me involved and then also sort of not understanding the communication factors with the manager spouse and how I was going to be you know, rebuked so, um, you know, so completely without warning, you know, two days before we were to leave on an international trip. So there were some things I definitely could have done better. uh, But then there were some other things that I know that were way out of my control because they had some, some very peculiar ways of doing business. And I learned never to sort of like be ready to lay down and die on a gig, you know, on behalf of, uh, a, a side person, if I didn't really sort of either share their complete, you know, uh, um, convictions about their their issue, or or just you know, be able to go back to them and say, "Listen, this gig pays what this gig pays. You don't have to take it. It's fine. You know, I understand completely. If you don't want to do, you know, fly to Singapore for X amount of dollars, say no. It's okay. You know, I'll, I'll find somebody to do it." You know, and maybe they won't get the best band, whatever, you know, but I'll find, you know, somebody, somebody wants to work for that kind of money. So I didn't have that sort of negotiating skill. I was, I just sort of felt like, oh, the whole band wants this. So therefore I need to step up and say something. And we all got fired. And then they all took the gig again uh, without me. Yeah. I, I mean, I <laughs> immediately it, after I, I'm, I'm not surprised that they fired you or tried to replace the band and tried to replace the band. I am surprised that part of the story of like, well, everybody came back. And I mean, I, it's probably just sort of I, back to your, your point about you, you choose what you do. They wanted more money. They needed more money, but I guess there wasn't a better alternative at the time yeah, for them. Well, also they didn't really, really, really need more money. They, they just wanted more money. Wanted, and well, fair enough. Yeah. But again, when it came down to push comes to shove, they took the same money. I was like, okay. And then, because I said the mention the 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 one horn player who called me, 
that's the only person that I've remained friends with to this day. Everybody else like, not that I'm holding a, a grudge for 30 years, but I'm kind of, you know, it's like, you know, like we shan't work together again if you're going to sort of per, uh, pull that kind of stunt and then not have the courtesy to sort of say, listen, they've right. offered me this money. Do you mind? You know, right. which, and, and I don't mind. Yeah. Or the courtesy of thank you for going to bat for us, even though it didn't get work. It didn't and, work out. And, and, and hiring them all in the first place. I hired all of them. Right. You know, and I got, yeah, I got one phone call and I was like, okay, I know who my friend, my friend is in that band. And, uh, all right. So interestingly enough, fast forward 15 years from that incident, I get a call from a buddy of mine and says, Hey, I'm putting together a new band for this certain disco diva. And I was like, <laughs> and do you want to play bass in it? And I was like, um, I said, is the husband still the manager? He said, Nope. I said, I'm in. <laughs> so you did. So I took the job, and uh, <clears throat> but I said, understand something. We're all going to be fired. I said this to the new band. I said, you have to understand, we're all going to be fired. And they all are like, no, no, we, we know we're very competent. We know what we're doing. You know, we're going to be a great band for it. We're not going to get fired. I said, mark, mark my words. I know how this person operates. We're all going to be fired. Um, and eventually they were all, <laughs> I think all but one of them, they've all been fired. They've all been fired, yeah. you know, just because that's the way, like I said, the shoes are too tight, fire the trumpet player, the uh, catering's not right, fire the bass player. Like that's kind of the, the MO of that, of that organization. And I recognize it from way back. Yeah. I, no, Go ahead. Uh, well, saying, uh, going, uh, going into the first gig, you know, this, after this 15 year hiatus, I said to the band leader, I said, don't, don't tell her it's me. Like, let's get like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to have anything. Any preconceived notions, any, you know, I, you know, we were, I, we're doing a gig in, I think, Virginia Beach or something. So we, and we hadn't met the star yet. We're like, we had the band was together. We had all the charts. We knew what we were doing. I said, don't tell her it's me. Like, let me get there and do the gig first before we sort of go into the ancient history of the thing. Cause I, I in, estimated in my mind that one of four things could happen. Either she did remember me or she didn't remember me. And this was either a good thing or either a bad thing. Sure. And I thought, you know, at least 50 to 75% of those scenarios would be fine. They'll work in my favor and I'll be fine. But there's a 25% chance she could just like, you know, hit the roof and I'm out of my tail, you know. Yeah. Uh, so when I got to the gig, uh, I said, uh, I, I, I re-met the person. I said, uh, I used to play for you a long time ago. And she said, where are you from? I said, New York. She said, okay. I was like, nothing, like, no memory. <laughs> I was like, I mean, great. It could have been a mistake to bring that up, but it didn't, it clearly didn't. Well, you know, I didn't want to pretend that I would never met ever, you know, uh, but I never went into the old details about, you know, what happened in, in ancient history time. Well, well I, would, I would imagine, I mean, a diva is probably focused mainly on the diva, on herself. I mean, I, I was going to ask a general question. I mean, like when you are yeah. playing in the backing band for a huge named performer, you're not the band, but you're you're playing with them. I mean, like, how much to a fault do they view the backing the backup band as like interchangeable cogs, almost to a point where like it might be disrespectful of like, oh, I can find another bass player, no problem. Well, that it varies wildly, um, person to person, <clears throat> and to some extent that's accurate that's true you know it, and it, it, you have to look at the way they sort of run uh, a broadway pit 
you know, if we have a, a 16 piece orchestra, you know, we need somebody sitting in the bass chair who can read those notes and play those, those parts faithfully. It doesn't have to be the same person, you know, and it has to be the same music so that the people upstairs can act and sing and dance, you know, uh, and, and and that's fine, you know. Like you know, there that that way they allow people to, to 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 sub out to have other lives and other careers along with their Broadway sort of thing. Uh, and I know people that run bands kind of the same way. Like you know, you're the first call. We'd prefer you to be there, but if you can't for any reason, as long as you send a, a competent sub who can read music and and cut the gig and do everything we need to do, it's fine. Um, the, but there there are definitely people who are sort of like, you know, and, and this aforementioned diva was one of them, sort of like, you know, uh, everybody was expendable, everybody was interchangeable. And I think, honestly, the way that she got conditioned into doing that is because the former husband, former spouse, former manager, in an, an effort to sort of control access to her, like when anytime anybody would sort of, you know, get close to her, they would get fired. Like he was trying to sort of maintain a kind of control over the situation. So I think after 40 years of doing that, that just became her MO. It's like, oh, yeah, you just, you know, replace this person, replace that person. And became a, a manner of, of doing business kind of kind of yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I imagine there's a range of personalities and working relationships if you're touring with someone are they getting to know you? Are you becoming friends? Do they even, or do, do they even not really know your name and you're just like, Hey, Hey, base. Or <laughs> I mean, what do, do, do you get the whole range of that? When I've had every transactional, range sorry. I, I've had every range of yeah. that. Yeah. The, the full range of it. Uh, and you have to be a little cautious too, because you can't be overly familiar with, Somebody that you don't really know. I mean, if somebody happens to be famous, you feel like you know them better than you really do because you just haven't spent that much time in a room with them. Uh, and also, you have to sort of keep in mind this is the same. This is true of any any employment situation. Like you can't be overly, overly, overly familiar with the boss. Like you have to understand who's signing the paychecks and why. Uh, and then, sort of not not to sort of keep your place, but sort of maintain a perspective over what you're your actual relationship is. There is a certain transactional element to it. Um, famously, Duke Ellington was asked, you know, how do you keep this, you know, large orchestra together over so many years? He said, I have a very secret plan. I, I, I pay them money. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. yeah, okay, got it, you know. But he also was loyal to people. Like he was, he's famously a band leader who would keep uh, band members for decades, you know. And I know other people that work in bands that, you know, I've been in the same gig for 25, 30 years. You know, that's that's a, a personality type of a certain artist type, you know, um, not universal. I think Neil Diamond was kind of famously that way. He had the same people for 30 years. Uh, I think Jimmy Buffett's band is that way. I think, you know, I don't know for a fact, but I think some of those people have been there for decades, you know. Um, so it just it depends. It depends on the employer. It depends on the situation. It also depends how much they work. You know, like uh, a lot of acts go out and they'll do a month or two in the summer and that's their year. That's what they do. So, you know, so you don't have a 365 day exclusive contract with them. You can't because they don't pay all of the all of the mortgage or the rent or whatever you're doing, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, it depends. What And it probably depends on the performer. I mean, as a freelancer, do you I mean, 
you've had a lot of variety and there's a question of, well, do you like the variety or do, do you ever get bored playing the same music every night? I, I don't, I don't. I, um, but part of the reason that I don't is because I do so many different types of gigs. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to the Broadway thing, what the Broadway people want, they want repetition. They want it to be pretty much almost exactly the same night after night after night. And that becomes a challenge to sort of stay focused, keep it fresh, keep it energetic. Um, you know, especially if you're doing eight shows a week, it's really hard to keep your, your focus, keep your head about, you, you know, we have this, uh, kind of a funny term that they, some of the Broadway people usually call it going to the white room in terms of like in the middle of the show, you just like, suddenly you just, you blank. You're like, I have no idea what the next note is. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the next chord is. I don't know where I am. I don't know what day it is. You know, you just kind of like your, your eyes cross. And I can't tell you how many times that's happened, especially on uh, rock of ages. The whole band was on stage too. Mm. My hand would just give me a gift. My hand for the muscle memory would just go like, it would just hit a G. I'm like, yes, that's yeah. it. The hand saved me. You know, I'm like, you know, it's very funny, but it's a real challenge to sort of keep the focus. Um, but it's not been a problem. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, even even when you have these <laughs> mini strokes on stage. <laughs> Or maybe it's just you're you're in the zone, and you know. Uh, I mean, the the only comparable thing I can think of, and I occasionally I get to wave a pair of drumsticks at at, at a guest, like I'm doing nice. here. You know, I played pit orchestras uh, in high school and a couple of times in college. Just you know, obviously very amateur, and like the run of a show would only be a long weekend. Right. And sure. I, I always remember feeling like. You kind of get to the point of like, all right, we're finally nailing this. You got it, right? Now you got it. And then it's it's over. Like, oh, if we could have done a second week of shows, like those would have been uh, even better. But um, I feel that that way with with most of the artists I work with. You know, they're they're limited engagements. They're limited runs. Like we're going out, we're doing a long weekend. You're right. By the third show, the band's blazing. And thank you, we're done. You know, (laughs) great. But you move on, and I was going to ask you, Ivan. You 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 point out how you how you have a section on your website with not just your 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 resume, but a list of gigs I didn't get and why. I mean, so it's interesting. Like people in you know tech industry and other settings have been posting their quote unquote failure resumes. That's almost right. kind of a trendy thing. But like, t- yeah, yeah, yeah. tell tell us about why why you've done that on your website. Well, not to. Buck the trends, but I've had that up there for a long time. Yeah. That's been up there at least 20 years I've had that on mm-hmm. there. I just find it sort of interesting because I think that people tend to try to paint a picture like it's been all success all the time. And that's, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to write a resume or a curriculum vitae that just shows like you're just climbing, climbing. Everything is up, 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 up. And in the performing arts especially, it's just not so. That's just not the way it happens, you know. Um, I, I, I also mentioned in the book's uh, I came to realization at some point, uh, I don't know how many years in, maybe a decade or two in, like I've been fired to almost as many times as I've been hired to replace the guy who's been fired. You know, like it kind of goes, it goes around in a circle so much. Um, I got a phone call yesterday about a, a, a thing that was like, you know, this isn't going to work out anymore. We're going to have to stop doing this. And I was like, okay. You know, like it didn't even phase me. I'm like, you know, it's not, it doesn't feel like some career long rebuke, you know, that they've made about your personal artistic integrity. It's just the nature of the business. 
and especially the music field, which is kind of, you know, quote unquote, glamour profession. And there's all these people sort of waiting around out the door to take your job for less money. You know, these are sort of highly coveted kind of positions and, and employers know that. So they can get you sort of initially, at least for, for quite cheap. So, you know, it, it's a, it, it's a long sort of process to, to kind of keep gain and keep that perspective. Um, and the gigs that I didn't get, you know, and why are just sort of like, it's, it becomes anecdotal at a certain point, you know, I, there's a couple of auditions that I blew. There's a lot of, uh, situations where the scheduling just didn't work out. Like I've been called in a hired to do something and, um, something else preempted it. Um, a few things were like, um, we had something scheduled, you know, like, you know, be at the studio on Monday, you're going to record with Keith Richards for, in, in a, as a matter of fact, it was a Hubert Sumlin record and like the bass track wasn't working and they wanted to replace it. And Keith's on the track and you're going to be playing with Keith and Hubert, at least on tape, you know, if not in the room, I'm like, great. That's great. I'll, yeah. Let me do that. You know, I don't care how much it pays. I'll do it for free just to have the experience. And, uh, you know, Sunday night, they said, they called back and said, yeah, you know, we're just going to leave it the way it is. You know, uh, it seems like it's fine. I was like, uh, 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 okay. Mm, yeah. But <laughs> There's nothing that I did, you know, it just, the, the gig came and went without me doing anything. Uh, and that's, that's happened a bunch mm. of times, you know? Yeah. But I mean, if you, if you're being brought in to replace somebody who was fired, do they ever tell you why that person was fired? Do you ever try to find out so that you can avoid being the next one fired or I got hired in recent memory. And the basic reason that I got was the, the bass player before me had worn a pink shirt. <laughs> that was it. That was the main, that was the main, I mean, there were other factors, you know, but yeah. the, the biggest infraction was he wore a pink shirt. I'm like, huh. All right. Note to self. Well, fortunately I don't personally own any pink shirts. It wasn't a, it wasn't a struggle for me. You know, you see me dressed in black because that's mostly what I have, all of what I have. But it was like, all right, so, you know, I guess the the wardrobe is a factor in this particular gig. And it turns out it wasn't nearly the biggest factor, you know, but that was the reason they gave me. It's like, yeah, the pink shirt. And I was like, huh, okay. <laughs> sure, but, no problem. I mean, that's not, was that a question of like insubordination or something? I mean... <laughs> It, it, I think, about, okay. I don't know because I wasn't there. I don't know the I don't know the oh, person, and I yeah, wasn't in the yeah. circus. But I, I the, what I was able to glean from it, it was kind of a a tone deafness mm -hmm. to what the gig was and what the the needs of it were. Like you know, I I don't think that you know, I I don't think I ever would have worn a pink shirt to that gig. It's like it's just not. It wasn't one of those kinds of gigs. You know, it was like. It was like a, a classic rock kind of thing. Like it needs to be old school sounding, looking, that whole kind of thing, you know. And like you, you, uh, even the equipment that I would bring to a gig like that, like I would sort of like, if I, especially if I was if a recording artist or something like that, you know, I'll do a little research and I'll go back to the recordings and I'll say, okay, so what kind of equipment were they using for this kind of thing? So, you know, when I was music director for Sam Moore from Sam and Dave, I was on the road with him for 13 years, you know. Initially, when I started the gig, this was kind of, I met him in the 90s. In the 90s, we were kind of doing like, you know, the bass guitar world was becoming very handcrafted, boutique-y looking things that looked like coffee tables or beautiful pieces of furniture. But they, you know, 
they weren't necessarily meat and potatoes base instruments, you know. And when you and, and I started Sam's gig, you know, wearing playing this five string with the, the the fret dot lit up, you know, had LEDs on it and stuff. It was a really jazzy looking, great looking bass. But as I got into the gig, I kind of realized, like, no, all the Stax Volt stuff was recorded by Duck Dunn on a Fender Precision bass, a 1962 Fender P bass. And if you want that sound, you kind of got to buy a Fender, you know. And I already had one, so I was like, you know, all right. Like, I kind of put down all the Batiki five strings, and I went back to my old four-string Fender, which I'd had for years and years and years. And uh, same thing with all the Motown stuff, all the James Jamerson stuff. That's all Fender P bass, all that stuff. So if you're doing snacks and Motown gigs and you bring one of these, you know, BC rich pointy, you know, guitars like that, people are going to look at you funny and they should You're kind of like, uh, maybe you didn't do the research enough to know what gig, what instrument you should bring to the mm. job, you know? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. The mistakes you could make around what you wear, what your instrument is. Um, and by, by the way, Sam Moore, there, there is an amazing, um, there's, there's video, of you playing with Sam Moore on Conan O'Brien. Um, oh, right, right. That's right. On, on, on YouTube. That, I enjoyed that a lot. But boy, there's, I, I mean, I'm sure like, it, so I think it, it, it's interesting. There's, it seems like there's types of gigs where it's just all about the performance. You're in a pit or right. you're, you're recording and nobody sees you. But That's then right. you think of like a, a, a live performance is visual as much as anything like i mean right. getting 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 your haircut could be a mistake that maybe gets you fired if it wasn't 100 with the look of the band right that's right that's exactly right yeah I've, I've had people i've heard of people being fired because of you know a hairline or something you know like that's genetic i have no control over that but it's like <laughs> right. not the right person for the gig and again <laughs> i mean i keep harping on the broadway thing but you know the broadway shows i've done uh four four of them the, the musicians were on stage. So when you're on stage, there's costume, there might be makeup, there's choreography, probably there's stage business you have to do. There are things, you know, that, that it's not just play the parts and play them. You know, you got to do that on any show. Sometimes there's you know, extensive choreography, like, um, um, ain't too proud. The, the life and times of the temptations, the musical on Broadway, you know, there was a big, uh, the, the finale, um, this video wall went up and behind it, there was a huge reveal of 16 piece orchestra, all wearing white suits, all playing white instruments, doing uh, identical choreography that we had to learn. I had to go to band camp, you know, choreo school to like learn this routine to be able to do it. And it was like this shocking moment. The whole audience was like, you know, there was the biggest reaction of the night was when the orchestra got, uh, revealed and they realized, oh, we've been playing this stuff live all night. You know, we just thought that maybe it was pre-recorded. You can't tell, you know, kind of thing. But very much so, yeah. The the, the look and the choreography, like it was a, as much a part of the visual presentation as it was uh, just the audio. And show business, it kind of always been that way, but it's especially been that way since the MTV era, since things got so visual. I mean, it was before, arguably before that, when you think about, you know, ELO or Kiss in the 70s with all their theatrics live, sure. the pyro and the things blowing up and the costumes, you know, but that really went into hyperdrive for everybody mm -hmm. starting in 1981 when suddenly video killed the radio star. Right. And, you know, it's, it, and it's been that way ever since. So you, you have to sort of be aware of the visual element of, of what you're doing. Yeah. 
So um, I want, so again, our guest is uh, Funk Boy, Ivan Bodley, his book is Am I Famous Yet? Memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. And you, you say in the notes there about the book, something about being a rock star without the annoying fame. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, I mean, like, how, how important was that to you? Did you want to be famous or did you just want to play music? Uh, right. Exactly. That's the, that's the question. That's the, the question I spent the entire book sort of, <laughs> of, of exploring, you know, it starts out, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of us got into this cause you know, we were sort of like awkward kids in high school and wanted to be with the cool kids and sort of playing music sort of felt like you were with the cool kids and it, and it got you, um, recognition and, adoration from people who wouldn't ordinarily speak to you in the hallway of the, of the, of the school, you know? So when I first experienced that, I was like, Oh, wait a minute, that's something I can do. You know, like in, um, get a, a gymnasium full of 600 people applauding wildly for what I'm doing. Like that never happened to me before. So that level of attention or notoriety feels like that's something you, you need to chase after somewhere, you know, in the performing arts or whatever it is, you know, and then as you go through it, um, again, with Rock of Ages, the band was on stage for the full two and a half hour performance. So when you came out the stage door of Rock of Ages, there would be people there behind a barricade and they were waiting for, to get autographs from like whoever the star was, Constantine Maroulis or Dee Snyder did the show for three months, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, as, as, the, as the bass player, you get a little collateral damage. You get like, you know, a couple of autographs, maybe a, a selfie with some people in line. And so when you came out the stage door, there'd be like people would go like, "Hey, you know." So you were famous until you turned the corner on Seventh Avenue, like you were famous for half a block, and then as soon as you got past the corner, you were right back into obscurity, you know, immediately. So it became it become it's become a lifelong sort of point of interest to me to sort of see fame as a tenuous thing, and it affects people in different ways but also there are just wildly divergent levels of fame you know there's only a few michael jacksons in the world you know people who are just uber famous just can't go out in public ever most people are kind of like famous with a certain subset of people and uh, one of the i this is kind of a, an antiquated reference but i keep using like you know i used to say janet jackson but maybe i could say like rihanna now like you know if she sold 10 million records or something like that that means in this country alone they're like 310 million people who don't know who she are, is and doesn't care, you know, like my parents wouldn't have known, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, wildly famous. And yet there are still people who don't know you kind of thing. So it, it's a, it's a tenuous thing. It's, it's related to a period in time too. like, you can be wildly famous in the eighties and be, you know, obs in obscurity by the next decade kind of thing. So I, you know, I had to sort of temper my own, uh, quest for fame and figure out what part of it was something that I enjoyed and what part of it really had no meaning on my life or just me trying to patch a, an emotional hole that was still there from, you know, something else. Mm. Um, and it's an ongoing process. I, I, when I get the full answer, I'll write that book and let you know. <laughs> yeah. I hope people will check out the book and okay. You've brought up a couple of things. You knew I was going to bring up a movie that's certainly my favorite and it's, it's, if it's not your absolute favorite, I know it's one of your favorites. This is Spinal Tap. I have the set of three collectible action figures in the box <laughs> on top of my my dresser. I see them every morning when I wake up. 
I quote that movie probably every day of my life. And every time I go on the road with a band, I feel like we, you know, we constantly saying hello, Cleveland. Right. Like it's, it's, it's so true to life. It's really hard to not reference it constantly. I mean, you may, I mean, even thinking of the action figures, I can imagine I'm thinking of the scene, um, uh, Nigel Tufnell, you'd be bringing me through, you know, like, look, still got the old tagger on it. On the action, <laughs> and then I'd start to, to point at it, you would tell you, no, don't, 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 don't even, don't even point at it. That's right. Don't even look at it. But um, you talk about the the fleeting fame. I was rewatch. I've been rewatching the movie. Um, I've seen it more hundred times. I don't know, but they, there were so many mistakes made by right. the band, the manager, the record label throughout the course of it. You can kind of log them. But one, I was rewatching last night, and there's a scene where they they get called in like look one of our old songs from the 60s is on the radio and they're enjoying the end and then the dj <laughs> says they later changed their name to spinal tap currently residing in the where are they where now where are they spot, now that's right that's which right looked soul crushing um, I, here's how what a crazy fan i am of that movie there there was a dvd package that i have like the deluxe edition dvd that has about 90 minutes of deleted scenes because they yes. improvised the whole movie. Yeah, right, right. So I've watched that so many times. Like I don't fully remember what was all in the original cut and what's like Bruno Kirby standing on the, on the top of the coffee table, singing Sinatra into a breadstick. You know, I can't remember how much of it is from deleted that, scenes. That, that wasn't, that was a deleted scene. Right. Exactly. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure of that. Yeah. And then also it had like the DVD used to have like a commentary track. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they they did the entire commentary track in character. Right. It's the three of them in character commenting on the whole movie. So it's almost like three full different movies on that DVD package. And I've enjoyed them all immensely. It's it's a great, great yeah. piece of art. Very indicative of our weird music business. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've, and I've seen the band in concert twice. One was oh, in fabulous. the 90s when they put out a new album. Uh, Break Like the Wind. Break Like the Wind, yes. And I saw them in an indoor theater in Chicago and then a big outdoor amphitheater uh, in Detroit over the summer. Did the Folksman open for them? Yes. In yeah. So the same actors, That's different, right. different musicians. Because <laughs> they would, uh, in early tours, they, they, they got booed off stage several times as the Folksman. People, people not know. realizing it was the same three guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's different things you've mentioned. Um, you know, um, having a spouse come in as manager, that happens during the movie. That's right. That's right. Uh, Ian quits, Janine, you know, David St. Hus- uh, Hubbins' wife, girlfriend, whatever the bleep she is, I think so. Right. <laughs> becomes manager new, and she tries yeah, putting him in. Co- hmm? Yeah, the new concept she wants to show the band, the cos- costumes. Wants to put him in costumes. Uh, <laughs> but do you, do you have... Um, I was going to ask you two questions, you know, here about the movie. Is Is there a particular favorite scene or favorite mistake that that you just enjoyed the most from from the film from the, oh i mean there's so many um, i think my my favorite thing and and again this has happened to me some version of this on stage is uh when they come out and they're all in the pods on stage yeah. and the pods all open except for uh, uh bass player Alex. yeah the his pod is stuck closed and they do the, you know, spend the entire number. He's in the pod playing and he's trying to get the roadies attention and they're using hammers and saws and low torch, and low torches, trying to get the thing open. And they finally get it open at, right as the song is ending. <laughs> he comes out at the wrong time. He has to go back in and gets one arm caught in the thing. And he's like, oh, yeah. Unbelievable. And I, I've, yeah, I've had. So you've had prop mishaps? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Big ones on stage in front of a thousand people going, oh, sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> Go back and try again the next show, I guess. Try again. Right? Yeah. Well, um, thank you, Funk Boy, for, for, for being here today. Uh, his book, again, is Am I Famous Yet? Uh, memoir of a Working Class Rock Star. Um, you can find his website at funkboy.net. I'll put links in the show notes. And um, really, really, boy, thank you for sharing your stories and um, for, for being a guest. And maybe we can, uh, we, maybe we can do, I'm going to, I don't know, maybe this is a mistake to ask you publicly. Maybe we can do another um, episode <laughs> just geeking out on Spinal Tap and the mistakes. Oh, the anytime. I could talk for hours about that band. No worries. <laughs> that's That's a done deal right there. Well, that would be great. So, um, thank you, thank you again for uh, for being a guest. Thanks for telling you know great stories and, and lessons learned. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you uh, connecting me with your audience. I look forward to hearing from everybody. Thanks again to Ivan Funkboy Bodley for being our guest today. For more about him, links to his music, videos, his book, and more, look in the show notes or go to markraven.com/mistake206. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.